Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's really lovely to be able to see you. And this morning, uh, there are certain things you think you will never say in church, aren't there? And here's one of them. For the last four weeks, I've been thinking about committing adultery. <laughs> because that is, before you get worried, that is our topic for this morning. We've got to that one in the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. Exodus 20, verse 14, and Deuteronomy 5, verse 18. I don't know if you saw it. A few months ago, there was a program on the BBC called Marriage. Did anybody see that? It was a four-part drama, uh, and it was about uh, a couple who'd been married for 30 years, and they sought to portray a realistic, sympathetic view of what marriage was like. And Liz and I watched it. We'd been married for 30 years at the time, so we thought that would be a good program to watch. And we thought it was very sympathetic. We thought it was good. Um, they didn't over-dramatize it too much. You had, people, you had the couple sitting in silence for a bit. You'd see them going for walks in the park, the odd hand on the shoulder. Um, you'd watch them having uh, dinner parties. You would see them um, talking, crying, laughing. Uh, they'd have the dinner party. They would go into the kitchen, and she would load the dishwasher, and then he would reload the dishwasher. It was a, it was a really realistic picture from Lizardo's point of view. But there are other people who watched it and they said, this is, I can't believe we've spent license payers' money on this program. Who wants to watch somebody sitting on a bench in silence? Who wants to watch people shopping? Who, who wants to watch people stacking their dishwasher in the kitchen? Uh, and it was almost as if, and there was a point in the drama where one of them had an opportunity to have an affair. There was this point where it was almost like people were going, go on, have some adventure. Get out of that rut that you're in. And, and I think that's something that our society, a message our society is giving today. Um, there's a joke about Moses coming down from the mountain uh, with the Ten Commandments. He comes down, he's got his two, uh, two tablets, and he, he says to the people, gather around everybody, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is I've managed to get him down to ten. <laughs> the bad news, adultery's still in. And we laugh or smile, but isn't there something about that joke that suggests that by keeping adultery within the Ten Commandments, we're somehow missing out? And that's not how it should be. That's not God, how, how God has designed it. There was an article in the paper this week uh, that I read about, essentially it was a defense of open marriage. And it said this, the author described marriage as where he does the bins and she does the Ocado order and everyone just gets on with it grimly until death. I do not recognize that definition of marriage. I do not believe God recognizes that definition of marriage, uh, and uh, we should stand against that. So this commandment about not committing adultery and about having faithful relationships is one that we believe, I believe we need to take seriously this morning. I think we need to take action to make sure we keep ourselves safe, and we need to take heart if and when we fail in any area, not just this one. So taking it seriously, we need to take it seriously because the Bible takes it seriously. The Bible is really clear, if you bear with me for a minute, and it's not the cheeriest of little bits of the Bible here, but in Leviticus 20 verse 10, it says that if a man or a woman are caught in adultery, they should be put to death. Adultery is a sexual activity outside of the marriage union. Uh, Deuteronomy 22 uh, says that the man should be, both should be stoned outside the city gates. The Jewish law at the time, the Mishnah, said that if a betrothed woman was caught in adultery, she should be stoned and the man should be strangled. 
Proverbs 6, 27 to, 20, uh, 27 to 29 says, sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. It's like playing with fire. And you probably know the story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. David despised a woman called Bathsheba. He commits adultery with her and then he compounds it by, uh, by uh, contriving for her husband to be killed in battle. And that has tragic consequences for him and his family. And then, of course, there's the, probably the most well-known story in John chapter 8, where Jesus is presented with a woman caught in adultery, probably betrothed woman, if she was going to be stoned. And the teachers of the law come up to him and say, Jesus, this woman should be stoned. And Jesus does not say, no, she shouldn't. He says, you are right. Jesus knows the law, and he knows that she should be stoned. Jesus takes this commandment really seriously. But it's not only, we shouldn't take it only seriously because the Bible says so. We should also take it seriously because it's serious for society. The impact on society is serious. J. John says, adultery causes pain, it shatters trust, and it severs friendships. In a YouGov survey in 2005, I found this shocking. One in five people said, who were interviewed said they had committed adultery or they'd had an affair. They'd had inappropriate sexual behavior outside of marriage. One in five. Just think about the impact that that will have had on families, uh, on children, um, on, uh, uh, and it's not just families, it's on reputations, it's on businesses, it's on the stability of government. The impact on society is really serious. Just think about the levels of conversations that are going on at the moment about the next, the latest series of The Crown, and just revisiting the story of Charles and Diana and the amount of pain that that's going to be causing to a number of people. So we need to think about the impact on society because we need to take it seriously. Just, just in case you're worried, this is not an anti-sex message. Okay, this is not an anti-sex message. And if my children are watching now, they're going to go, oh no, Dad's just said sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. This is, a, this is the t delicate part of the sermon where we do have to say that sex is good that God designed it for within marriage, and he designed it as good. God designed all of us, all the bits of us. Can I say that? <laughs> it's not like, am I allowed to say that? We could always edit this out, can't we, tech team? A bit later, a bit later. It's not like God was walking through the Garden of Eden, and he saw a bit of rustling in the bushes, and he looks over to Adam and Eve having an intimate moment, and he goes, oh my goodness, what are they doing? <laughs> no, <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He thinks it's good. So this is not an anti-sex message, but it is a message about faithfulness. And it is a message the Bible says and society says we should be faithful within our relationships. And I understand, just as with Josh spoke last week on honour your father and mother, I understand that this is difficult for some people. It will be difficult for a range of people. People may well have been hurt within a relationship because of adultery. They may have caused hurt because of adultery. It's always possible. There'll be single people for whom this is a difficult message or a difficult thing to hear. I do understand that. And I pray and I hope we'll be sensitive as we go forward. So we need to take it seriously, but we also need to take action. And I would suggest there are two types of action we need to take. First of all, there's what I call the reactive action. That's when you're in a situation where something is either just about to happen or it just has happened and you need to react to it straight away. You can't wait. You can't hold on. 
Jesus in Matthew 25 to 30 expands on the parameters of adultery. Because I don't think, and Aaron doesn't think, I'm sure, as we're giving this message here today, we're not looking at serial adulterers uh, across, the, across the thing, just like we don't think you're all thieves or liars or any of the Ten Commandments, things like that. But Jesus does expand it to say that any time we look at another person, another woman, another man, uh, with lust in our heart, then that is committing adultery. So what we look at, what we think about, could bring us into this category as well. So if we're doing something that, that causes us to do that, we need to take action. In John 8, verse 8 to 9, this woman that's brought to Jesus, he tells, her, um, to, uh, he tells the people to put down their stones and not to, not to cast, well, the person who's without sin should cast the first stone, and they all put them down. And notice, it's the church leaders. It's the church that are told to do that, not the crowd. It's the church. So as church, we need to be taking this really, really seriously. Psalm 51, written by David after his adultery, says, For I recognize my rebellion. And Jesus says to this woman who is brought to him in adultery, Go and sin no more. Stop is basically what he's saying. I'm not condemning you, but you need to stop. So the first thing we need to do is recognize it when we're getting it wrong. And then we need to take drastic action. Jesus said, if you do that, you need to cut, take your eye out or cut your hand off. He was advocating not literal uh, dismemberment, but a drastic action. Because if you take one eye out, you can still look around with the other eye. So that doesn't work if it's literal. But you need to take drastic action. So avoid the second look. Avoid the second click. Cancel that subscription to a TV channel if it's causing you a problem. Stop the affair. Don't have heart-to-hearts with the wrong people. All of those sorts of things we need to do right now. But we can also take proactive action. We can build faithful relationships. We can take action to make sure that our relationships are strong and faithful. And when I say relationships, I don't just mean married relationships. I think this is true for everybody. You know, if you, if you want to develop close, intimate relationships, and marriage is one of those, but not the only one, then there are certain things we can do to develop and grow our friendships. Uh, there are various resources uh, that organizations like Care for the Family produce, and I'd really recommend those. So what I'm about to say is drawn for some of what they say. We can uh, cherish, first of all. We can cherish people or appreciate them. With your friends, with your spouse, do you take time to say exactly what it is you appreciate them? Not just, oh, you're lovely, you're wonderful, you're great, but really specific things. I really like it when you do this. I really love it when you do that. This is what I like about you. And really appreciate them and cherish them. You may be thinking of a friendship you've got today and you think, actually, I haven't told them for a while what's special about them to me. Maybe after this service or during the coffee, you could do that. Appreciate people. Show respect to your friends and to your spouses in that way. Secondly, we can connect. We can spend time with one another. That's a really important thing to do if you're going to develop a strong relationship. Spend time together doing the things that you enjoy doing together, hobbies and so on. Learn how to communicate. Don't just learn how to talk. Learn how to listen. Learn how to say to somebody, I hear what you're saying. I think this is what you've just told me. Is this right? Is this how you're feeling? 
and make sure that you've understood them. Think about how to keep romance alive if you are in a marriage. So appreciate, connect, collaborate. If you've got a problem that you've got to solve as a couple or as a friendship, don't pull in opposite directions. Work together, pull together and try and solve the problem. Learn how to communicate, learn how to fight well, argue well, keep short accounts, make sure that each of you has had the opportunity to express your views and your feelings. And take responsibility, I've had to learn this one, take responsibility for when you make mistakes. I make plenty of mistakes and I need to learn to be the first to say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Difficult words sometimes, especially when I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. So collaborate and commit. Actually say to your friend, to your spouse, we're in this for the long haul. Okay, no matter how turbulent it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, I'm committed to this friendship. I'm committed to this relationship. So those are some practical, proactive things that we can do to ensure that our relationships are faithful and strong and intimate, because intimacy isn't just about sex, it's about closeness. Uh, you may have heard of a chap called Gary Chapman who uh, talks about the five love languages. Uh, and uh, if you know your love language or two, that's really good. If not, you may want to find them out. But for basically, people have um, five love languages. They have, um, it's either touch or time or gifts or words or actions. And if you know how you give and receive love, that's helpful within your relationship. So how do you give and receive love? So it may be that I've just said something and you've thought to yourself, right, okay, this friend that I've got, I could go and do something to deepen our friendship this week. Or in my marriage, I could do something to deepen and strengthen it this week to a fair proof that marriage. Because affairs don't start usually just like that. They start because there's a lack of intimacy, a lack of closeness, a lack of cherishing, a lack of connection, a lack of collaboration or a lack of commitment. So those are the things that we need to build. Are we okay? Are we all right so far? Okay, and finally, thirdly, we need to take heart. We need to take heart, firstly, because Jesus offers us forgiveness and he offers us a second chance. Jesus does not condemn the woman caught in adultery. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He gives her a second chance. It's not a final judgment but a chance to improve. There's a story in the Old Testament of a prophet called Hosea, uh, who is asked by God to marry a prostitute, an adulteress, a serial adulteress, who uh, does not remain faithful to the marriage. And God, it's a really strange story, and God asks Hosea to marry her. But in chapter three, he's, uh, he is told to restore the marriage. And with God's faithfulness and Hosea's forgiveness, he is able to uh, forgive. We can receive forgiveness from God for anything that we have done wrong, whether it's in this area or any of the Ten Commandments that we're looking at. We can receive the forgiveness of God if we ask for it. And we need to be willing and able to offer that forgiveness to other people as well. It's part of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? It's not easy. It's a challenge to do that. I understand that. Rob Parsons tells the story of a couple who came up to him at the end of one of his marriage seminars, and the husband said to him, um, last year I had an affair um, I confessed it to my wife and I gave her my wedding ring and I said only put that wedding ring back on my finger when you can trust me again 
And then he held up his hand and he said, yesterday she put the ring back on. And Rob Parsons said, that's great, that's fantastic. But he looked at the wife and her head was still bowed. And Rob took a moment and then he said, forgive me if I've got this wrong. But I think when she put the ring on your finger, she wasn't saying she trusted you again. She was saying, with all my heart, I want to be able to trust you again. And she lifted her head and she said, yes, that's exactly how I feel. When we are hurt, when things are painful, when people have betrayed our trust, yes, we should forgive. But that doesn't mean there aren't consequences. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's all just like that, all sorted out. It will take time. Some marriages will survive, some might not. But God says there's second chances, there's forgiveness, and there's healing through Jesus. And finally, finally, I'm doing a poll. Finally, finally. <laughs> there's the principle underlying all of this. Aaron's been encouraging us rightly to think as, as we go through all these Ten Commandments, what's the why behind the what? Why did God put these commandments in place? Why did he tell the people not to commit adultery? And behind this one is the principles of faithfulness. The principle of living a distinctive life that is faithful. Faithful to our spouses, faithful to our friends, faithful to our church community, faithful to the people of God, and faithful to God. Did you know the word faithful or trustworthy in Hebrew is, I think is emet, or emet, E-M-E-T. Any of you know that? That's a freebie for today. Uh, and it means trustworthy, steadfast, true, reliable. Um, it's, it and its New Testament equivalents occur 1,100 times in the Bible. It's a massive word. When you say the word amen, three of those letters are in the word emet. When you say amen, you are declaring the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God to hear and answer our prayers. It's this idea of steadfastness that's first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis with Abraham. And Abraham is promised descendants that outnumber the stars. God promises Abraham that. And then in Psalm 89, many of the Psalms refer to God as rock and, and something really reliable. Psalm 89 is a fantastic song declaring God's faithfulness written at a time of exile when people may well have thought to themselves, God's abandoned us. God's left us. But listen to these words. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. This is a people who are in the direst of places declaring the faithfulness of God. And the psalm continues to sing about God's faithfulness to David even after his sin. I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a word that I have said. I have sworn an oath to David and my holiness, I cannot lie. His dynasty will go on forever. His kingdom will endure as the sun. So God promises Abraham that he will have descendants. He promises David that his descendants will sit upon the throne. It's interesting in that psalm, the verse after that, the psalmist then goes on to say, words to the effect of, but where are you then, God? You've abandoned us. This is ridiculous. And I think that's really interesting. It's really interesting that in the same breath, almost, somebody can be utterly faith, declare their faithful, how God, how, declare how faithful God is, and then question how faithful he is. It's like the man coming to Jesus, asking for them to be his son, and he says, I, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In the same breath, and it's okay, 
if that's the place where you are today, it's okay to come to God and say, I believe you are faithful, but can you help me in the moments when I don't? That's okay. That's what we do as people together. And then you get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the line of Jesus. And then you have Abraham, and there you have David, and then you have Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of God's faithfulness. It's the culmination of God's promises. Jesus. Jesus shows the ultimate faithfulness of God, that God will never leave us, never abandon us. He will always forgive us. He will always bring us back to himself. He will always redeem us. He will always make a way. He will always bring hope. That is the Jesus that God offers and promises. In Revelation 22, verse 13, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The faithfulness of God runs all the way through the Bible. And as we are his image bearers, and we live that distinctive life, we need to be like people of faithfulness. People of faithfulness to God. My final image, if you like, before I ask the band to come up, is, do you remember that story in Exodus? We preach on it from time to time of Moses at the battle. And he has to ha hold his hands over the battle. And his arms get tired. And then Aaron and Hur come and prop his arms up. Do you remember that story? And we often talk about that, as a, preach about that as a story of, uh, of teamwork. And you can't go it alone. And you need others to help you, which is all absolutely true. But the word used for Moses' hands is emet. Moses' hands needed to be emet. They needed to be steady. They needed to be solid in order for God to do what he was going to do. That's why the people needed to help him, so God could do what God wanted to do. We help one another so God can do what he wants to do in us. And as I read that part in Exodus, I just was reminded or I was thought of Jesus, whose hands were nailed to a cross. They were steady. They were trustworthy. They were true. They didn't flinch. He went through unimaginable pain, rejection, suffering, and faithlessness of his followers for you and for me. So as we come this morning to finish our time of worship and think about what it is that the Holy Spirit may be asking us to do or think and respond to, can I encourage you to think of the faithfulness of God, his faithfulness towards you, his love towards you, his acceptance of you. He loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter how much pain you've been through, he loves you. He's with you. And this is a safe place for you to express what you want to express to him. So if I could ask the band just to come up. And I'd invite you to just take a moment to bow your heads in prayer. And as Aaron said, this is a safe place. I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm not here to make you think a certain thing. You're all individuals. You're made in the image of God. You're fearfully and you are wonderfully made. God loves each one of you. He loves me. But I do think it's my role to give you space, to ask the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself, to nudge you if there's anything he would like you to do 
as a result of this message? Is there something proactive that you can go out from here and do this week? Just offer that to the Lord. A word of encouragement to a friend, a conversation with a spouse, making some time to connect, greater collaboration on a struggle and a problem that you're facing, or a restatement of commitment to a relationship and a friendship? Or do you need to take some urgent and immediate action? Do you need to just stop something? Bring that before God and say, I want to stop that. Show me how to do that. Do you want to declare God's faithfulness? Do you want to be able to stand in a moment and sing loud about the faithfulness of God? Or do you identify with the phrase, I believe, help my unbelief? Maybe you would like to respond where you are. Maybe you would like to ask somebody you know and trust to talk to you and pray with you. Maybe you'd like to have a cup of, cup of coffee afterwards. Or maybe you'd like to come to the front as we sing these next two songs. There'll be people who would be glad to pray with you and they won't pry. You don't have to give them your whole life story. You don't have to say what it is you want prayer for. You can just come and they will pray with you and stand with you. Father God, by your Holy Spirit, show us how you want us to respond to this message. Forgive us if there is something in our life that is unfaithful to you unfaithful to your word and it may be this commandment or it may be one of the other ones doesn't matter Father God may there be a release in this place today for anyone who's here who's thinking should I go and have prayer should I turn to the person next to me should I do this that's I suspect the voice of the evil one saying don't don't speak it out God wants us to be in community. He wants us to work with one another. He wants us to help one another. So for some, that might be a step of boldness to just say something, to admit something, to ask for prayer. Could I invite you to stand? Father God, be with us as this time of worship. Will you lead us now by your Holy Spirit to be faithful people of God in Jesus' name? Amen.